San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, good evening, buddy. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. All these podcasts can be heard on iymoney.com. We're free on iTunes if you search the title of the show. And now it's time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinaire. He's an accomplished marathon runner. He's a best-selling author and lecturer and a family office advisor advising several high-net-worth families. Richard Musio, good evening. How are you tonight? Doing great, Joe, because well. we won more awards. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd be doing great anyway, even if we didn't. Right. Well, yeah, we had a really great week last Tuesday night, the 42nd Annual San Diego Press Club Awards. Uh, we cleaned up pretty nicely again in the radio category. Had to bring the moving van down to haul them all home. <laughs> well, just for our, our listeners' edification, how's that for a word? Um, it's too many syllables. <laughs> We won the best talk interview and call-in program. We do, don't do that many calls, so I think that uh, that alone, if we, if we won just that alone, I'd be I'd be thrilled. But we also won for the uh, specialty reporting single report when uh, we did the sixth annual Barry Goodnight Dinner from uh, Michelle Lyrac's home. And I have to thank her and Brooke Larios because they actually co-produced that show. But we had a plethora of 12 guests. Typically, we only have one like we're going to have today. But uh, that was a real marathon, and I was sick with sinusitis, and you were up at some graduation somewhere, and we still came in first. So that's a tribute to something. You took one for the team, John. <laughs> and then we took two second-place awards for um, Best Radio Series, which we've won the last two years. I guess I had to knock us down a notch, or our heads would get too big. And then, um, and then we took second for Special Reporting Series for those great shows with uh, Dr. Dave Clayton and Kathy Kinane and Garrett, who will be our guest next week, by the way, and Mike Messina. By the way, for the best uh, uh, talk um, interview program, we put up the shows uh, with uh, Richard Letterer, who founded that great show over KPBS. The Verbivore. Yes, um, uh, Away With Words, and Governor Mike Dukakis, and then Aaron Bizek over at uh, UCSD for his great story. So thank you so much to the judges in whatever city you're in. We don't know how these are judged and where. They never tell us, but uh, it's not done locally, so uh, must have some merit. And, uh, and so, also Courtney Lauber with PopX Graphics, who does a great oh, yes. job maintaining the website, picked Absolutely. up a couple of awards. So way to go, Courtney. Yeah. You know, she came in, and there's a re- were a record number of entries this year, but uh, she took second place for the general interest website and uh, third place for uh, the entertainment site. And uh, maybe next year we'll put it in topic-based or something. I don't know. But boy, oh boy, did they have the entries, and there were, there were uh, looks like they had tied for the topic-based. They had... Uh, one for first place, uh, three people won for second place, and two more took a third place. So, I don't, you know, it's a tough call to judge these things, as anyone knows, when you get uh, a lot of good entries in any particular subject category or whatever. Anyway, without further delay, we have a pretty cool and important guest who's no, no stranger to the KFMB studios uh, in her lifetime. And, um, and I know everybody out there in San Diego who, who's been around for any appreciable length of time has got to know the name but uh, when you watch those great fundraisers over at kpbs she's always there with her smiling face but she was smiling here at kfmb before that on channel eight and her name is kathy diamond kathy welcome to our show 
thank you, gentlemen, <laughs> and congratulations on your awards. Well deserved. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. It's our award-winning show. Yes. Yeah, make sure you call it that. Okay. At I, least for a week or two. I try, <laughs> I try to remember <laughs> during the third break. <laughs> But, uh, well, we try to have fun here and make it interesting, and I guess somebody's appreciating that, and, uh, and our sponsors love us, and that's, I guess, the main, uh, you know, the, where the proof's in the pudding right there. So, But, Kathy, my gosh, uh, I know you hosted or co-hosted Sun Up San Diego from 83 to 90, as you said before the show, but uh, tell us a little bit about your early history, born and raised where, and then how you found your way to San Diego. Okay. I was born. <laughs> In New York City. Huh. What part of town? Actually, Bronx Hospital. There you mm. go. And uh, it's no longer there. I once found the birth certificate, uh, not the certificate, but the hospital bill. Mm -hmm. And it was written in the kind of pen and ink that you dip into an inkwell. Oh, my mm. gosh. And it, my parents were both part of Actors' Equity. And so there was the equity discount, which was 50%. Huh. So uh, the week in the hospital and my delivery cost my parents $75. That's a good wow. deal. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and that was not that long ago. I mean, okay, yeah, it was... <laughs> Six decades, bucks. but um, yeah, I understand the hospital is no longer standing. But when I was very young, we moved uh, to France. Uh -huh. My parents were both in theater, and there wasn't much work in New York, and they were hungry, and apparently so was I. So we moved to France. Under the Marshall Plan, there was a huge American community huh. living in Europe, and they needed entertainment. So pa my Par father... Paris, I assume, or what part of France? We lived first in uh, Orléans. Huh. Uh, and then we moved to Frankfurt, Germany, where I grew up. Hmm. And I, we lived there until uh, 1963. We came back to the States briefly. Huh. And then we came then to Korea. And I graduated from high school in South Korea. What, wow. a, re what a renaissance woman. I had no idea. Yeah, no. So I, I was yeah. born traveling. Huh. And still travel. I mean, that's, I'm, of all the different things I do now, travel is a big part of it. I lead tours. But university, you went uh, in the States, right? Yes, I came back to the States. My parents stayed in Korea, and mm. I came back by myself when I was 18, and I attended University of Georgia, started off as an art major, but within about three minutes changed my major to theater Huh. and took all the theater courses that the University of Georgia offered and then transferred to Florida State. I didn't want to transfer. I uh -huh. wanted to go to New York and become an actress, uh -huh. but my parents insisted I get a degree. Uh-huh. And so when I taught a class at uh, UCSD a few years ago in, in the subject of Kafka, um, I asked all the students on the first day of class, was there anything that you wanted to do, in fact felt called to do, mm -hmm. but didn't do because of parental or societal disapproval, and how mm -hmm. do you feel about that now? I asked that question because this is what happened to Franz Kafka. He wanted to write, but his parents insisted that he become an attorney or uh -huh. something professional. And it wound up killing him at the age of 40. Huh. So um, I wanted to ask the students right yeah. now, take a lesson from Kafka. Right. But I also had to look at it for myself. I didn't go to New York. I never did that. I always had a bag packed, ready to go to New York, mm -hmm. become an actress, and I never did it. Mm -hmm. And how do I feel about that now? My life has been so magical mm -hmm. that in my case, it worked out that I listened to my parents and grandparents and got Abs my degree absolutely. from Florida State. So you, you graduated Florida State, and then how did you find uh, Discover San Diego? Um, a circuitous route, quite mm -hmm. naturally. I went to Korea, and I worked for a couple of years as a tour director there. And then I 
uh, came back to the States and went into theater, did work in theater locally, um, but found myself in broadcasting fairly quickly in 1980. Where was, where was that? That was in North Carolina. Okay. And uh, I was at East Carolina University there, and uh, there weren't any jobs available. Mm. So I went in, I made a list of the three television stations. The first one was the CBS affiliate. I walked in and said, I want to work in broadcasting. What do you have available? <laughs> and they had a morning talk show producer host position. Isn't and I started so with Carolina Today. <laughs> from the capital Carolina to the coast. Today. Carolina wow. Today with Slim Short and Henry Hinton. Did you have to give like the hogs, uh, you know, what they were selling for and the auction items and all that? And That was Slim Short's job. <laughs> no. Okay. I got to do the community calendar mm -hmm. and interview people. And that's where I sort of started in television, and that was in 1980. So you walked in the door and again, so no, no, I, well, you must have had some kind of uh, resume with acting and something, right? I mean, they, you're just walking off the streets and they give you a job at the TVs. Although. That's where theatrical training comes in handy. I can, you can imagine. use it in all different situations. You know, it's amazing you say that because our friend Bill Lyrak was lecturing at San Diego State at a business class on negotiation. And I asked him after that. He, he talked for like 90 minutes without taking a, a break, and those kids were just mesmerized. But um, I asked him, I said, well, gee, these students here, and a lot of this was, uh, you know, a lot of uh, professionals in this class, too. I said, what class do you think they should take to really enhance their negotiation skills? And I was, you know, I was thinking something academic. He goes, drama. Yeah. He goes, I recommend absolutely. a drama. And they yeah. give lawyers training uh, and mm -hmm. doctors as mm -hmm. well so that they can develop, even if they don't have it naturally within themselves, mm -hmm. a good bedside manner if mm -hmm. you're a doctor or uh, understanding how to present yourself in front of a trial audience. And plus it's just good therapy to just to express yourself in, in, in an articulate way or an informative way or a rhetorical way, whatever, and it will enhance your, you know, your purpose, right? Indeed. The Greek theater started as one of the healing arts. It's a hmm. cathartic experience to hmm. let those emotions out. Well, so, so, Kathy, you made a wait, quick wait, reference. Wait, okay. wait, 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 oh, is it break time? Let's take a cathartic break okay. right now, folks. Yeah, real quick, we'll come right back with Kathy Diamond, uh, the first one of the hosts of Sun San Diego, and over PBS and all that other good stuff. We'll be right back. Hang on. All right. We're here to get smart with Kathy Diamond today. I love that song. Mike Joe, that's Bud. the second best TV theme song in history. Oh, really? What's the first? I got you. That was a Get Smart Joe. Remember, everything was, you know, that's oh. the second biggest elephant oh. I've ever seen. You got it by that much. Got it by that much. <laughs> well, Chief. <laughs> Take off your shoe and make a phone call. And we're back with Kathy Diamond. Unfortunately, we're not sitting under the cone of silence. <laughs> Chief? I used to love that guy. <laughs> 99? So, Kathy, how does someone get from North Carolina to San Diego? Um, I kept applying for jobs. And I first went, I got a job as a producer co-host for a brand new talk show in Sacramento called Good Morning California. And um, I was there for two years. Really? When I got fired, mm -hmm. and uh, Linda Ellerby, who used to be oh, with at, NBC mm -hmm. and also PBS, I believe, for a She's while. She's saying, so it goes. That one. Yes, mm -hmm. and so it goes. Linda Ellerby once said, never trust anyone in broadcasting who hasn't been fired at least three times. Mm -hmm. And so that was my second firing, mm -hmm. and it was a good one. Mm -hmm. it, was, um, it propelled me here to San Diego. Mm. And so it was the day after I was fired in... Sacramento, mm -hmm. I was at KOVR, that I was offered the job with Sun Up San Diego. 
and like I that. came to heaven. Hmm. I had found my place. How'd you discover the job? Was there a, a trade magazine back in the day? Or? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It was called Broadcasting Magazine. Correct. And mm-hmm. in the back were the ads. Mm-hmm. And I would just every day, I had a sign that I might be fired. It didn't come as a shock. Mm. So I'd been given clues. And so I made it my the, the, practice. They just wanted to take, make, uh, take a new direction with another co-host? Or was it something that uh, ticked somebody off? or? My co-host and I did not get along. Oh. He hated me. Gee, that happened. Imagine that. (laughs) Joe and I don't have that problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's a marriage. And this Mm -hmm. is what I had to say I really appreciated about working with Jerry G. Bishop Mm -hmm. here at Channel 8. Right. At KFMB. Because Jerry understood that we were in an arranged marriage Mm. and that we needed to be as nice and polite and kind and loving to each other as Mm -hmm. we possibly could. And that, I think, was something that came across to the it viewers. It does. Regis Philbin learned that lesson. I mean, I think, I think that's what endeared him to a lot of people, uh, him and his co-hosts all those years. But So you applied down here and got the job like that, and you said Jim Ryman had, was a factor? Right. Um, I had applied for a job before that. There was something, an entertainment reporter or something at Channel uh, 10 mm. that I had applied for. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody had given me Harold Green's number, mm. and I contacted him. Harold Green, mm. legendary mm. <laughs> newscaster. Mm. That Ron Burgundy. Was, <laughs> yes, the model for Ron Burgundy, I'm told. But there were others who could be as well. Uh, but he darn well looked a lot like yes, him. Yes, he did. Uh, he sent me to Jim Ryman. Huh. And Jim Ryman said something that today would be considered very offensive. Mm. But um, at the time, I remember thinking, wow, well, that's a compliment. He said, I was the greatest piece of talent he'd seen in a long time. <laughs> but he told me about the job at Sun Up San Diego. Can we say that on air, Justin? <laughs> I think we're okay. He won't be, he won't, you know, well, the late, the late great Jim Ryman, but apparently wouldn't, couldn't be running for mayor either. So, <laughs> but Jim Ryman was, was a, an enlightened management right. person. I mean, he now has an award named after him. He does it from the press club. That's mm-hmm. right. And so. is a good friend of J.W. August. And he was in, actually, he helped a lot of people get a start in broadcasting. And uh, I remember the guy, he, but I do remember him saying, you know, I eat a pint of Hagen Dazs every night and um he did like his cigarettes back in the day and uh, but apparently he lasted quite a while with mm-hmm. uh, three blocked arteries playing golf with jw um but just a great guy just a you know a bundle he was the assistant news director at channel 10 for many 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 years until he retired over there so right. well he helped bring me to san diego and for that i am eternally grateful i love it here this is my home. In 83, and your producer of the show was uh, Dean Elwood, who is to this day the news director at KFMB-TV, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. And his wife, Pat Elwood, mm-hmm. was an intern, and she's now head of the community services. Yeah. Isn't that something? Yep. So everyone's still around. So you come back 25 years later, nothing's changed. <laughs> oh, man, it was weird walking in the door this morning, i got to tell you. It had been how many years? 25 years yeah. since I'd been here. Isn't yeah. that something? Well, uh, all right, so Sun Up San Diego, what were some of the highlights of those years? Does anything stick out in your mind that uh, when I, I mean, I remember going to a show. I, I met the owner of the Improv. He was a guest on your show, and we actually became friends. I used to hang out there for many years uh, in the 80s. But Mark Anderson. Yes. I Mark. remember him. More Well, one of the highlights came from Mark Anderson coming on Sun Up San Diego uh, when the Improv celebrated and PB celebrated its one-year anniversary. In December 85. They yeah. had a special show at the Improv, and yeah. as the co-host of Sun Up San Diego, I got to go. And the two 
guest stars who headlined that show were Jonathan Winters and Robin Williams. And I was there, too. Riffing off of them. I mean, what they a did, moment. That was the highlight. They were the last act that night. But remember who was in the audience? B. Arthur was there, uh, Robert Hayes, the actor. I mean, it, it, I don't remember any of them. All I remember is really the others Do you remember how hard we laughed? I mean, I felt that whole room went into orbit that night uh, when, when they went up on that stage. And we talked about this with Bud Friedman a few months ago when Robin passed. And, uh, and you know, it was just a memorable, memorable night. So, uh, God, any, <laughs> anybody who's in that room, you know, they, they remember it vividly. So People often ask me what was of, of seven and a half years of interviews, which one stands out. And mm. there were, of many. course, many. Um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross mm. um, taught me lessons on death and dying. I'll never forget that live with me today. Hmm. Uh, but perhaps the most memorable was a little girl from Stella Maris Academy in La Jolla hmm. who was diabetic who showed me the latest technique in drawing her blood huh. and and then putting it into a machine to test her blood sugar level. Mm. Little brown plates, little braids on mm-hmm. either side, so big glasses, so mm-hmm. serious, so articulate. Mm-hmm. She's never left me. Really? So she's one of my favorites. Isn't it yes. funny, the people that, that uh, stick in of our Of all minds. the celebrities <laughs> and politicians and <laughs> comedians little... I interviewed, but... No. Has you ever have you ever touched base with her? No, again? no. I don't know if she's still around or no, not. Huh? I have no idea. How about that? Don't even remember her name. Okay, so up to 1990 at, at uh, KAP, uh, KFMB here, sun up, and then um, uh, what happened after that? Getting fired, losing your job when sun up San Diego was canceled. But that was due to deregulation and nothing. I mean, That's right. Yeah, yeah, deregulation. If you want to explain that quickly, I would love to explain <laughs> it. It used to be that. Um, Stations had to address the needs of the community, Mm -hmm. and producers would go out into the community and do what we called ascertainments. Mm -hmm. And we would talk to leaders in various different areas of the community and say, what concerns you and your group, and what do you need to see addressed? We'd Mm -hmm. come back, and then we would program the show based on what the community wanted the to need, yeah. uh, wanted to hear about what they needed. Mm-hmm. And uh, during deregulation in the 1980s, uh, the Reagan administration basically told television and radio stations, but television stations is what I know about, don't worry about the community. Mm. They, I remember, too, one thing that was said is public television will take care of the community. Mm. And I had already been volunteering for KPBS, and I knew that that wasn't the case. Anyway... Mm. With deregulation, the amount of commercial time available during any hour increased. Mm-hmm. There was no regulation there. But I think the greatest loss was the loss of the Fair Political Practices Act, mm-hmm. where one opinion had to be matched by the opposing viewpoint. Yeah. Uh, there was also the rule where only one owner, one owner for seven stations, seven newspapers, seven radio right. stations in one market. Yeah. And that all went away, too. Yeah. So it, it was, I think, a loss to the community. Yeah. What, what, it wasn't the fair play. What was the other name for that that he got rid of? The, the free, uh, I know you had to give two sides to an argument, uh, and he got rid of all that, the uh, editorial. You remember it, Richard? The yeah, term, I don't remember the name. The term. Term. Equal time. Equal it was time. Equal that's time. it. Yeah, it that's right. Fair, equal time. Yeah, equal, equal time. time. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that in the late 80s, and then, of course, in the 90s, they deregulated even more and uh, gave rise to these monoliths in, in uh, media, which I don't know if it's such, such a great thing. Right. But, well, the morning talk shows, basically, there was every every 
market. Every market had their own morning talk shows, it, often had two. Yeah. And, and basically those disappeared, and instead came the syndicated programs. Regis and Kathy Lee was one of the first, Jenny yeah. Jones, Sally Jesse. Mm-hmm. Syndicated programs that would take the place of the locally produced morning shows. Yeah, how about that? Uh, so, um, yeah, and I, and I know in the in the '96 Act, they uh, you know you could only own 40 radio stations max, and then they lifted the lid. You would think, okay, let's double it. That that law had been in place since the '30s, you know. And I they they well they trashed a lot of these. Well, whatever term you want to use, they might call it reform or update or upgrade, but. Um, I don't know. The jury's still out. Anyway, we'll reappear right after this break. New sports and weather. We'll come back with Kathy Diamond right after this. Hang on. All right, we're back with the third segment of It's Your Money and Your Life, the award-winning show, Richard. And now this is the time where you will thank some sponsors, right? Big thank you to all the sponsors. Speaking of winning awards, the award-winning UBS with Mr. Drew Friedis and Mr. Michael Coranta. Couldn't do it without UBS. Our favorite CPAs on the planet, well, two groups of them. Jason Kruger, CPA with Signature Analytics, the best CFO firm here on the West Coast. Also, Polito Epic CPAs, Don Epic and Paul Polito, up in their brand-new office in San Marcos. Carl Sheeler with Berkeley Research Group. Carl, of course, has a brand-new book coming out from John Wiley & Sons. Carl helps business owners understand the risks that drive the values of their businesses. If you reduce those risks, you increase value. Also, Joel Gruskin with Cost Segregation Initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. And with all this money you make from Joel and Carl, how about Brenda Geiger, Geiger Law Office. Brenda specializes in asset protection and estate planning. And by the way, she is moving in a couple of weeks to a brand new office over in Carlsbad, I'd help her move, but I have to walk my cat that weekend, so I'm not available. <laughs> Lane Elliott and Sean Puckett with California Republic Bank. See, if one sponsor leaves, you just have that banker leave a bank and go to the other bank that's our sponsor, Joe. You can't get away from this show. Mm-hmm. It's like being in the mafia. You're in for life. <laughs> California Republic Bank is a great bank helping wealthy families and family offices that own real estate and invest in private equity deals. Recent guest, Neil Staley with Hub International, also known as Mars Maddox Insurance, an absolutely incredible employee benefits firm. Hey, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week, November 2, 3, and 4, the LG Group and the LG Experience, they have a continuing education seminar at the lovely Omni Omni La Costa. They help wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the CPA's very best clients. Speaking of cool stuff going on in November, how about the Carlsbad Classic? Yes, women's professional tennis is returning to Carlsbad for the entirety of Thanksgiving week up at the Park Hyatt Aviara. Check out cldclassic.com. And last but not least, the Ending Elder Financial Abuse Alliance, headed up by Paul Hines. Paul, of course, is the president of Hearthstone Private Wealth Management, and Paul is... I'm going to be an upcoming guest here very soon as well. Mm-hmm. So big thank you to all of our sponsors, as well as Courtney Lover with PopX Graphics, the award-winning PopX Graphics, who maintains our website where our listeners can find out all kinds of cool things. Right, Joe? Absolutely. If they just get over to iymoney.com and get their cursor over to the Sponsor tab, there's a drop-down menu there, and they could learn about any one or all of them. They have Their biographical information is there. Their contact information is there. And I know they've been working with you for many years with great success. Right, Richard? In one case, dating back to 1983. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was back three to, years old at the time. Back to no. sunup San Diego. Mm-hmm. That, that's hey, nice same, segue same there. <laughs> nice. So anyway, Kathy, um, many listeners have described our show as being Kafkaesque, <laughs> and you made a reference to Franz Kafka in the first quarter of our show. Mm-hmm. What What is with this fascination that you have with Franz Kafka? Can you please tell us that story? Well, it's sort of become my life story, in fact. Uh, when I was 19, I... Um, was in a German language literature class, and we were reading Franz Kafka. This we was were, at University of Georgia? It was University of Georgia. Okay. And um, I had grown up in Germany, so I thought I could ace the class. But I had not counted on Kafka. <laughs> we were uh, translating a story called The Metamorphosis. Sure. Mm, in which, yes, has one of the most famous first... Can you say it, Richard? I'm so impressed with what you know I about Kafka don't, already. Don't test me that. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't. It's, okay. What? It's as Gre- Gregor Samsa woke up one morning yes. from un easy dreams he realized he'd been transformed during the night into a monstrous vermin that's it Mm. that's one of the translations of it some say gigantic yeah gigantic a rat i've seen rat or vermin vermin yeah Yeah. generally it's a bug of some sort like some say cockroach but he said monstrous vermin so that's how it started that was a cover of one of the books you actually saw this big Mm -hmm. uh, that's right that's right so we were translating that and i did not get kafka i did not love kafka but Mm -hmm. i did have a crush on my teacher which was why i was there (laughs) in class And he interrupted our translation and said, Fräulein Diamant, mispronouncing my name, so I didn't pay any attention. Um, Are you related to Dora Diamant? And he wrote the name on the blackboard, D-I-A-M-A-N-T, which is my name. And uh, I realized he was talking to me. And uh, he repeated the question, are you related to Dora Diamant? And... uh, I said, probably. <laughs> I had never seen anybody with my last name before at that point. Who is she? And he said, Dora Diamant was Franz Kafka's last mistress. They mm. were very much in love. He died in her arms. And then he grabbed the lectern and he looked right at me and he said, and she burned his work. Okay, mm. well. Yeah. We'll kid, talk about that. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Well, the kid behind me said, not enough of it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but I promised the teacher I'd find out if I were related to Dora Diamond and get back to him. Mm. And ironically, lo, all these many years later, I still not, I don't know the not answer to that. Sure. I hmm. No, I, I could find out uh, through DNA tests now since I found her family. But mm-hmm. um, what I discovered when I went to the library was a mystery. Mm. This woman was supposedly 19 years old when she met Kafka, who was 40. Hmm. Suffering with tuberculosis. And he was dying. From, from which he passed. Yes, and 11 he, months later. They yeah. only had 11 months. But mm. in those 11 months, his life came to fruition. He experienced the happiest year of his life. Huh. And he was able to do what he had always dreamt of doing before he died. Hmm. So it was a love story, a world-class love story. Did he get much writing done in that last he year? He did. He mm. was very, very busy. Mm. Unfortunately, one of the things I discovered was, well, fortunately, unfortunately, he did not burn Kafka. Dora did not burn Kafka's work, as my teacher said. One of the things I discovered when I started to learn about her was that she had said she burned it, but she kept it secretly mm. until a fateful day in 1933. She was living in Berlin. Because there was the fascist movement, right? That's the been... year that the Nazis came to power. Mm. And uh, they raided her apartment. She was working as an agiprop actress fighting it, the Nazis. Was this Berlin? or In where? Berlin. Okay. And um, 
the Gestapo raided her apartment, confiscated every scrap of paper. Was she Jewish? And, and she was Jewish, and but mm. worse than Jewish, she was communist at that point. Mm. And not that she was a good communist, but she was the only political party fighting the Nazis hmm. were the communists, the Social Democrats, everybody else said the Nazis are too out there. We don't really worry about them. We're mm. concerned about the communists. Mm. And because the Nazis and the communists were having nightly street battles mm -hmm. in the early 1920s sure, in the, Berlin, the they just wanted that. to let them duke it out. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing that happened was when the Nazis came to power, um, they banned the Communist Party, and anybody who was affiliated with it at all became illegal. So Dora was then illegal, and huh. that's why they raided her apartment, not because but, she was Jewish. But backing up, Fra Franz, Kafka, Franz Kafka, I think, is one of the more difficult authors to understand because his works were essentially published after his passing because he died at the age of 40. Right. And, and so there really isn't much discourse, uh, you know, in terms of his opinion about what he did or his success because he simply didn't really have any as a, as a author during his lifetime. But he did all this writing in his spare time, right? Cause he yeah, was because a, he was an attorney who worked, I think, exactly. as like um, for insurance companies, mm -hmm. um, doing legal work for insurance companies and wrote in his spare time. So mm -hmm. wouldn't you agree that, that his story, that there's just a lot of pieces of his story that, shall we say, are misrepresented? Well, you know, it, Richard, it's funny you say that because Kafka has been called one of the most misunderstood writers of the 20th mm -hmm. century. But that's not for a lack of people not trying. Right. I He's mean, like written about and written about and written about by so many biographies. and Exactly. There yeah. has been a new book published on Kafka every 10 days <laughs> somewhere in the world for the wow. last 14 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they're all trying to explain what he meant. And Kafka himself never did explain right. what he meant. And I think this is part of the continuing fascination with Franz Kafka. Yeah. His, his writing is so open to interpretation mm. that I think he provides a mirror for the reader. And he influenced a lot of other philosophers oh, and yeah. thinkers of his of the day, Camus and and uh, Sartre. Do I say? Am I saying that right, Sartre? And, we and call modern, him Jean Paul. Jean Paul, <laughs> Jean -Paul to us, yes. No, uh, modern writers as well um, mm -hmm. have all credited Nobel Prize winners have all said that Kafka was their starting point. Hmm, how about that? But he's the one who said that if or he who lives life completely is not afraid of dying, or has no fear of dying. I forget the exact quote. But you're very close to it. And yeah. and this is the thing that's most misunderstood about Kafka. People who have read his literature believe that he himself was dark, depressive, mm -hmm. lonely. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. There are few people who I have read about in life who were better loved hmm. by everybody who know, knew them. Yeah, he basically just hated his day job. He basically <laughs> hated his day job, exactly. So this was his escape, I guess, the writing, you know. It but was I, his form of prayer, he said. Isn't that something? Isn't yeah. that something? Well, we've got to take another little pause right now, but we'll come back with Kathy Diamond, all about Kafka and a lot of other stuff right after this. Hang on. All right. This is an odd couple. This is an odd trio here talking with <laughs> Kathy Diamond about Franz Kafka, Dora Diamond, and her magical mystery list, literary history tour and all that. But, uh, but, but Kathy, I, I once told somebody that Kafka is best read out loud. The only challenge <gasps> there is that it really slows the reading down. You are so right. This is what I tell people. If you have trouble reading Kafka, yeah, you read, it read out loud. loud. Right. That's exactly right. And what I also say is start with the shorter pieces in the complete stories. 
uh, there's two parables that start off the book. Uh, one is called Before the Law. It's about four. It's under 400 words. Mm-hmm. And the second one is called An Imperial Message. Read those out loud. Find mm-hmm. somebody or just read it to yourself. Yeah, read it to yourself. Mm-hmm. You're exactly right, Richard. That is the, that's the way Kafka read his work to others. Huh. But, but we played some Get Smart music earlier <laughs> in the show. Was, was there a reason why we played Get Smart? Oh, it was so smart of Justin to choose that <laughs> music. Because well, I had a little something to do it, but whatever. <laughs> oh, did Justin you, did Hart, you really? his nickname Joe? is Smart. Sorry. i got to take a little credit somewhere. <laughs> All for right. That. We call okay, him Justin, Joe, how smart. We call him Justin Smart Hart. <laughs> <laughs> because there were two studies done a couple of years ago now, two different universities, one in Canada, uh, discovered that uh, just reading Kafka, they took one of his short stories, A Country Doctor, and uh, did a control group. They found that reading this short story by Kafka improved cognitive skills significantly. And the researchers concluded that it was the search for meaning Hmm. that takes place in reading a surreal Kafka story that continues after the story has ended. Hmm. And it improves cognitive skills. So just reading a story by Kafka will make you stupid. But yeah, I mean, it makes you think about things that most likely you wouldn't have thought about absent having read Kafka. But you, you mentioned the word search. There's a big search going on right now, right, regarding Kafka? There is. uh, In, um, what year was it? It was in the 1990s. I discovered that the work that Dora was supposed to have burned, she did not burn. She kept it secretly until it was stolen by the Gestapo, at which point then she confessed her lie. Mm -hmm. And a search was conducted from Prague in Berlin in 1933, but everybody asking questions uh, were Jewish, and they were told by the Gestapo that the mountainous stacks of papers stolen in the early days of Kafka, Nazi rule made it impossible to locate any specific document. Mm-hmm. But after the war was over, another search was conducted, and they discovered that the papers had probably been taken out of Berlin during the Allied bombing for safekeeping in the Eastern territories. But then the Iron Curtain descended over Eastern Mm -hmm. Europe and all research became impossible. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, I realized that it was possible to rejoin the search. So I petitioned the German government uh, for the return under the issue of Holocaust-era assets, Hmm. the return of Kafka's property, Doris' property. And the Kafka State in London, England, gave me permission to do the search pro bono. San Diego State University adopted the project and gave me an adjunct professor position in the College of Arts and Letters, Hmm. which I maintain to this day. I started the Kafka Project, which is the official search, third search, for the missing literary treasure of Franz Kafka, comprised of 20 notebooks, his last year of writings, and 35 love letters he wrote to Dora. So this search has been going on since 1998. I spent four months in Berlin going through the Gestapo archives. I was told by the archivist there when I found the confiscation order of her property not to give up too soon that it would be another 10 years before all the archives and bunkers and (coughs) basements Mm -hmm. would be uncovered. So I went back in 2008 and then went to Poland and spent six weeks in Poland, Mm. reached a dead end, Uh, went then, applied for a residency at the Woodrow Wilson International Center in Washington, D.C., which I got, researching um, captured German documents and material after World War II, what happened to it. 
And that's where the gold train that was just discovered mm-hmm. underneath the mountains in yeah, Poland. Right. It's that whole sort of search that the so, Kafka project is a part of. So some of these literary works might be, um, you know, collected with some other treasures and they, arts. They and say things. documents are in there. I don't believe what we're looking for is there because I think we have found the archive. Mm. Uh, what we learned, uh, what I learned in D.C. at the Wilson Center was that everything that wasn't in the Americans' hands, and I had seen everything that, were, that was captured by the Americans, um, had been taken to Russia. But mm. now it's hard to do Russian research. But yeah. we found, in 2013, I found an archive in Berlin, returned from Russia oh. in the 1970s. Mm. And now my Kafka project is being adopted by two German universities who are writing their own grants to catalog this archive, which is still uncatalogued. The- so they're still not sure where where it is, right? The archive is in Berlin, but the catal- the archive is still uncatalogued, uh, dating back to the Third Reich. A Third Reich era. Ha- so, so there's thousands of pages wow. to go through. Th- millions <laughs> to go through. <laughs> he, was so, pro- he was a prolific letter writer, too, wasn't he? <laughs> he was. He was. He, that's actually two of the major volumes of his books, three, are his letters, mm-hmm. his so diaries. At, so know. at least you, you, you think you found the collection where, where these exist. It's just a matter of uh, cataloging and going through the research, which is going to take uh, quite a while, right? Years, and it needs to be done by native German speakers with high security clearances. And for me, this is such a relief because mm. no longer will I have to fund this research. No. I've been funding it through grants and through my tour but they, um, might, they might find a lot of other gems in there, too, They right? could, yeah. absolutely. And that's one of the reasons the German government is going to be funding mm-hmm. these German universities to catalog this archive. And, of course, in today's day uh, era of dig- digitization, you know, they've done this with the Vatican, a lot of, a lot of work. So that, that might be really a, a great project. Yeah, so the Kafka Project's in a good place right now, and that's why I only that, have to do one more tour. And, of course, <laughs> your, your website is kafkaproject.com if people want to get updated or learn more about that there, right? That's right. Okay, good. It, it's project and Kafka is K-A-F-K-A, mm-hmm. project.com. Perfect. Now, you're te- I know you teach at UC San Diego. You teach at San Diego State. Uh, what are your latest courses that you're teaching there? Well, now I or teach mostly to- through San Diego State University mm-hmm. through the uh, Osher Institute for Long- Lifelong Learning. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm-hmm which is a wonderful program at San Diego State for students 50-plus. And I teach writing and critique and uh, help people become part of a working writers group so that they can keep writing. And City College also, right? You teach down there? Not Not, yet, but I hope to breach those walls someday. Okay, that'd be great. And then you're also on the board of directors of the San Diego Press Club, and you're also, we're pointing to the uh, board of directors of the Horton Plaza Theater Foundation, which operates, operates which theaters down there? The Lyceum Theaters, the, okay. where the rep is housed, okay. San Diego rep down there. And, but my favorite volunteer work is with Franklin Elementary School. Mm. where I read to a first-grade class. Mm. I've been doing that for about 15 years. Do you read Kafka? (laughs) Actually, there is a new book out, My First Kafka. Okay. But they say uh, it's recommended for people eight years old and up, so my little first-graders are a little young for that. Not quite there yet. (laughs) Not Not quite. quite there, no. And then you also teach at the Y in your spare time, Tai Chi and Qigong. Qigong, I taught two classes already. Um, (laughs) I taught a Qigong class and a Tai Chi class. You know, I haven't held a regular job in a long, long time. 
long time. I think it was 1979. Just like you and me, Joe. <laughs> but you're doing what you love. And that's, that's right. The, that's that's the right. Great, and, and, and I'm able to share it yeah. with others. Now, the history tours, if people want to actually join you and go over to Europe, tell us about that. Okay. The next one, and actually the last one. Uh, this will be the fourth and the last one because um, it's a fundraiser for the Kafka Project. Mm. There's a $500 donation built into it. But it's 10 days. Um, we go to Prague and we spend three nights in Prague learning about Kafka. And not just about Kafka and why he's important, but uh, about the time in which he lived. Which was mm -hmm. such an exciting time in Prague. And so it's mm -hmm. the rise of modernism and Art Nouveau. And then after three nights in Prague, oh, and the beer is really good in Prague. <laughs> and then we go to Krakow in Poland where mm -hmm. Dora uh, went to school. And we learn about the rich Eastern Europe Jewish tradition that she was a part of. And we also experience the rebirth of that Jewish tradition in Kazimierz, in the Jewish Quarter, which is really heartwarming. And that's mm -hmm. perhaps the most powerful part of the trip. And that's three nights in Poland. And then we go to Berlin, and we stay in a hotel called The Honeymoon, Honigmund. <laughs> and it's where Doran Kafka had their, mm. their bohemian paradise in the 1920s. Mm -hmm. So in B Berlin, we also drink great beer, as we also do in Poland. I think actually the Polish beer is the best, but part mm. of the tour is beer tasting. Mm -hmm. And then in Berlin, we experience not just the turbulent time of the 20s and explore that, but through the Nazi era, up to the Cold War, up to the amazing renaissance that city has experienced in the mm. last decade. Mm. And you take the, and of course, uh, I know in your book, Casca's Last Love, there's some nice photos in there in addition to the, the text, but you see some of these structures and homes, are they still in existence anywhere? Yes, we go, we go to the little park. They're one of my favorite stories about Kafka, it is the best story. Mm -hmm. um, um, we go to the little park where that story took place, and mm -hmm. I read it there. And so it's, it's partly Kafka and Dora, it's partly music, it's a lot of food mm -hmm. and drink, and it's... It's a great way for me to share all the experiences, the good experiences I had when I was living in Berlin or in Poland, mm -hmm. um, and to be able to share that with travelers yeah. in a way that helps bring Kafka to life. Well, let's do a little bonus track. We could talk some more about this if, if you'd like. So, uh, folks, but uh, KafkaProject.com if they want to learn more about the tour and everything else. So, all there. Kathy, thanks so Kathy, much. Kathy, really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thanks for being our guest. Richard, great seeing you again. And uh, if you want to hear more of this, we're going to converse. Go to IYMoney.com, and uh, you can hear the bonus track. Justin Hart, thanks for making us sound great as our board operator. Thank you to Craig Blanky, our account executive, and to our programming genius here at KFMB, Dave Sniff. You have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next time. All these podcasts are at iymoney.com. Take care. Good night now.